I do not often default to viewing God as patient. Yeah. I think he is as reactionary as I am, yes. <laughs> which is so wrong. But God is so patient and he is long suffering. He suffers with me for a long mm-hmm. time. And he doesn't do it with a, come on, oh, get it right. right. Hurry up, be better. He's like, I love you. I died for that. I'm here for you, and I'm still patient. My patience has not worn out, David. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are back in the New Testament. Seth, how are you feeling? I realized as I was studying for this book that most of the time that I've read 1 and 2 Timothy, it's been to prove certain doctrinal points, not (laughs) understand a story that's happening that's very live in a time that actually existed. Yeah, and like the struggle of a young pastor right. and all this stuff. I've read First Timothy as like, uh, this is the proof of the inerrancy of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. Right, here's the proof of uh, church organization structures. This is why you must have elders. Right. This is why, you know, like, that's, yeah. why, that's how I've approached Timothy is like this collection of doctrines to be believed. And if we've learned anything, that's always a great way to approach any part of Scripture. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Kidding. Uh, yeah. Okay, so before we jump in, what yeah. what's Timothy about? What are First and Second Timothy about? Why well, should we care? Well, what's really interesting about First and Second Timothy is they're written to Paul's protege. Mm, so the Apostle Paul has a protege, yeah. a young pastor, a young apostolic delegate who has been put in charge of a church in Ephesus, and he is profoundly discouraged, overwhelmed, and unsure of what to do in the leadership situation he's facing. Mm-hmm. His church, maybe not uniquely, but like really as I, as we've been reading it, just like has a very broken relationship with authority, mm. a broken relationship with, authority, with God's authority and his word, a yeah. broken relationship with human authority and how the church should be structured. And they even have a broken relationship with Paul as an apostolic authority. Mm-hmm. And then you have young Timothy coming in <laughs> who is younger than all the other leaders in this church. Yeah. They're looking down on him because he's young. And he's supposed to lead a group of people in a city he's never been in. Yeah. The issue of authority, a broken authority, is pretty mm. live. And the discouragement of Timothy is pretty real. And on top of all that, you have this group of false teachers stoking all those divisions and encouraging people to like take advantage of the authority they do have mm. or discount the authority that God has instated. Okay. So for... A lot of listeners, maybe they don't like the A word. The A word. The, uh, the A word. <laughs> authority, I mean. Yeah. Um, and why Like, why should they stick around and like wrestle through broken relationships with authority that Paul talks about? Because it doesn't, that kind of sounds like a, a, kind of an intense podcast, which well, it might be. It might be. I mean, it a broken relationship with authority is how Eden was broken. Okay, there you go. So, like, I mean, and Paul will pick up on this in First Timothy two. He goes all the way back to creation, mm-hmm. and in creation there was a false teacher, the snake, the snake, just as there are false teachers in Ephesus to where where Timothy is pastoring at the time. Yeah, and he teaches the snake teaches Eve a false a, doctrine, a false doctrine that she is her own authority, that mm-hmm. she can decide right and wrong for herself, and that not only breaks her relationship with Adam and the world and with God, but like has implications for the rest of humanity. Okay. So what's on the line and why should people care? You put the whole world on the line. The whole world is on the line (laughs) in false teaching in one sense and like a broken relationship with authority. And you have a a young guy, a young pastor trying to institute authority when nobody respects the authority that he has. Right. It's like, it's yeah. And I mean, I've been a, I mean, I, I keep thinking about myself. I was a pastor for, you know. Like 10 years. Yeah, over a decade. Yeah. And I was frequently the youngest guy in the room. Right. Or being put in situations where you're just out of your depth. 
What authority do I have to speak to somebody about who and who they're not sleeping with? What authority do <laughs> I have to talk to this group of 45-year-olds about how I think we should deal with this one situation? But if what Timothy says is true, or what Paul says to Timothy is true, like there is a deposit of faith given to people who are proclaiming the word of God mm. that they must bring to bear as they encounter a broken world. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So that's a lot on the line. A lot on the line. What then is, what's going on in this time period? Like, is this toward probably the end of Paul's life? Yeah, that seems to be the, the, the consensus among scholars. The second Timothy was the last letter that Paul ever wrote mm. during his final Roman imprisonment. Um, and it's second Timothy in particular is Paul knowing he's about to die and handing over the authority to continue the mission of the church into Timothy's hands. Okay. So, I mean, even the purpose of the letter is around authority. It is around because authority. Because he, as the church planter and the apostle of this church, has had authority so far to lead this church and mm -hmm. speak into what heresies might arise or whatever. But now he's bestowing that authority onto a young man named Timothy. Yes. And that very young man is having his own authority questioned. Yeah. Okay. That's all on the line. All right. So we how does how does a leader like Paul <laughs> hand over the reins to probably the church he spent the most time at? That's right. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Especially if you're listening and you have any kind of church leadership, you know, right now or in your past, you could probably resonate with this a lot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's kind of the that's where Paul is probably. That's what's going on with Timothy. Um, but what's going on at the church in Ephesus where Timothy is? Well, the easiest way to say it is that they are under attack from a group of false teachers. But what's interesting about these false teachers, and probably most false teachers in Paul's world, is that they were former leaders within the church. Okay, so these aren't like external threats coming in and lobbing attacks in, like yeah. ridiculing the church. These are like people that everybody probably likes, respects, listens to. Previous our, elders. Yeah, maybe yeah. not even seeing them as like false teachers, but this is our church. This is where we go. That's right. Yeah. Um, one of the men that is named as a false teacher and who's already been excommunicated from the church okay. is named Alexander. Oh, the, is he the coppersmith? He's the coppersmith. So, is he and a silversmith or a coppersmith? Coppersmith. coppersmith. And what's interesting is the way that Paul talks about him in 2 Timothy makes it sound like Alexander's the reason why he's imprisoned in Rome this final time. But what's even more interesting about Alexander is that if he's the same Alexander from the book of Acts, Alexander in the book of Acts is one of the first defenders of Paul in his ministry in Ephesus. Mm. He stands up in the temple of Artemis and s tries to defend Paul's right to talk about Jesus and he's shouted down by the crowd. So mm. potentially Alexander was one of the founders of the church at Ephesus, wow. grew it with Paul, uh, with Timothy, and then eventually abandoned the faith for some speculative doctrines okay. with, and then ends up becoming an enemy of Paul. Okay. So <laughs> All right, so you've got these you've got the, you've got these you false false teachers, some still in the church, mm -hmm. some who've already been excommunicated from the church. So there's probably this sliding scale of intensity of false doctrine. And it's probably the case that the like people like Alexander or Hymenaeus who who are led are still exercising authority in the mm -hmm. church because that's the way it works. Right. These were we love these people. They helped start the church. They're not right. no longer with us, but we go have coffee with them. We right. hang out with them. And they're probably getting some of their the people within the church are probably still going to them for advice and then importing their false doctrines mm. back inside Timothy's church in Ephesus. And this is probably most evident with a group of women. So we have evidence that there's some women in first Timothy two that are usurping Timothy's teaching role, talking over him in the sermon. And then also a, either the same group of women or a different group of women are taking advantage of the widow care ministry, oh, gosh. stealing money from widows that need it oh, to, my goodness. because they technically are widows and can, can take some of the money. They so. have, yeah, these widows like have, have husbands who have died, mm -hmm. but they still have families that are taking care of them, paying their, paying their bills, buying their food, putting them up in the houses. Uh, they don't need anything, right? but, but they are taking from the widow's like uh, yes. pool from w women who are literally all alone. Yeah, so there's some problems, and Paul seems to pin it, all of it on the influence of these false teachers, mm. whoever they are. 
Okay, so is now a good time to talk about what on earth are these false teachers teaching? Like, and I know the answer is probably not one thing. It never is. Right. But is there a semblance of what they were doing that's that makes you want to go over to the coppersmith's house and talk about heresy over coffee? Like, what was, what was going on? Well, it's really funny. Paul opens up 1 Timothy by, right away, with talking about the false doctrine. Verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Way to open a letter. Not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which just promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Mm. So apparently, myths and endless genealogies. Several scholars kind of point out there's probably some sort of weird teaching in the genealogies of Genesis. They have an alternate version of the creation story that's behind some of their false teaching Dang. at one point in second Timothy, we're told that they did not, that the resurrection has already happened. As in like the final resurrection of believers has already happened. Uh-huh. Paul will go on to say that these same teachers misunderstand the law mm. and that instead of using it to point out people's disobedience, they'll use it as a way to excuse people's behavior and let them do whatever they want to do. Perhaps because of some corrupted version of the Genesis story, which was the lie of Satan, which was choose do good and evil Just for yourself. Do whatever you want. Um, Interesting. Or the fact that the resurrection's already happened could oh, mean like gosh. God's power is already in you. The resurrection that was promised is already here. The fullness of God is available to you now. You don't need to appeal to the old laws of the Old Testament. Right. Do what you want to do. Feel your way towards your own truth and. Paul multiple times says that that just creates dissension, division, babbling, endless speculation, <laughs> evil. We have people taking advantage of widows. Like yeah. the false teachers are preaching something that sounds good, but it end up dividing and destroying God's church. Okay. So you've got uh, some kind of weird alternate teaching from the Old Testament uh, that is leading to immoral living and a kind of laissez-faire attitude towards God's commandments. Yeah. Define good and evil for yourself. It's totally fine. Uh, maybe because of an over-realized eschatology, which is a fancy way of saying that like, hey, the new kingdom's here. Everything's cool. God's power's in you now. Just live however you want. You don't need to follow the old way to salvation because full salvation has already come right now. So if yes. you're not eating, drinking, and sleeping around, you're not enjoying life the way God intended. Something like Something that. Something like that. Something like that. And it's hard to and it, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. And you want to be careful in, in situations like this, and I'm talking generally not to you, Seth, you're doing this. <laughs> uh we want to be careful not to say that this heresy was one thing or that it was really organized or could have been put down in a very succinct way. There were cultural factors, there are religious factors, right? There's syncretistic factors. You know, there's all these different things that kind of press together that make it hard for someone to even identify it as a false teaching, quote unquote. Right. Because it's just like in the water, you know, it's just something that's being said, things that yeah. are being taught, being practiced. It doesn't feel like this big, giant, menacing threat that, you know, everybody sees and is choosing one side or the other. Yeah. It's just in the water. Yeah. It's probably like, it's like today. It's totally. like there are false teachers today, but it's kind of hard to know who they are and when exactly they're teaching false things. Because sometimes they're saying really good right things. things yeah. Right things. And Paul will, will say multiple times throughout First Timothy that they have a form of godliness. Mm -hmm. They look godly. They look godly. Or they're saying the right things, but the end result of what they're saying is destructive mm -hmm. or evil. Sounds good now, but give it 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's confusing yeah. and people from within the church are spouting those things. So people mm. you trust, people you've listened to perhaps your whole childhood who, you know, like are now saying something different now that they're no longer employed at the church they were previously. Oh, well, that's confusing. Right. I mean, imagine Alexander, the coppersmith. Right. Like this guy started the church. He was defending Paul. How could... How could he be on the wrong side now? Or maybe he's seen the evil in Paul and he's preaching a better and more true gospel right. now. Right, if because... anybody's going to know it's Alexander. Right, right, yeah. He would know. He's seen the I dark side. I mean, Paul's side. the one in prison. Right, he's seen the dark. <laughs> Paul, if Paul was doing everything right, he wouldn't be in prison. Right, He, yeah, if he was an upstanding citizen, it wouldn't end this way. Alexander's got a thriving business. You know, yeah, like, he, like, right. I so mean, yeah. That's why it's, it's convincing and compelling. Yeah, okay. Okay, I get that. So, to this disheartened, 
young pastor who's struggling with a group of people who are teaching wrong things and discounting his authority, what does Paul during the last leg of his life want to focus on and tell him? And like, and so everyone knows we're kind of doing an overview here of the situation of first and second Timothy. Um, and so like, what is the gist if you can, or are there some themes throughout the, the two letters that really sum up Paul's encouragement and exhortation to Timothy? Yeah. The, I mean, the, he tells us the reason why he wrote first Timothy. Well, that's first, convenient for us. <laughs> in first Timothy chapter three, verses 14, uh, through uh, 15, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So in a context where everyone's has a broken relationship with authority, is questioning the authority structures of the church, questioning the authority of Paul, questioning, wondering whether or not Alexander is the true authority mm. in Ephesus. Paul is writing to Timothy to teach God's church how to behave, mm. how to have a right relationship with authority yeah. so that it can hold up the truth in a context of lies. Like that's why he's writing. Yeah. How to, I think what you said is worth repeating because it does pop up a lot through the two letters is how to hold up the truth in the context of lies. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to sum up yes. Paul. What, what Paul's aiming at here. I think you could have that ringing in your ears mm-hmm. and go read First and Second Timothy pretty well. Yeah. How do you hold up truth in the context of lies? Yeah. I think some of the things are like, oh, I, I could have guessed that one. But there's some twists and turns in Paul's <laughs> right. um, exhortations that I'm like, I don't think I would have figured that out on my own. Yeah. You know, and I think like chapter one kind of starts me out there. Like, and he does it a lot, but there's a very gospel way that he wants Timothy to interact with these false teachers. You know, I would, I would think it was like, okay, how do you hold up truth in the context of lies? Smash all the lies and be really yeah. loud with the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I would expect. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and instead he just like goes all in on like grace and, Oh well, yeah, multiple things. times Paul tells Timothy, don't get involved in these endless speculative arguments. Right, all these don't, quarrels. Don't get involved in the quarrels. Don't respond with quarreling with quarreling. Yeah. Like, get out of that cycle and, and instead preach the gospel and establish, like, establish good authority structures within your church yeah. and preach the Bible. Yeah. Like, that's kind of all the advice. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, you would think like, yeah, it's like it's we have such reactionary culture today. You know, it's so easy to just be like if I see something, you know, you see I don't have a Facebook account, but I was like, you know, if I did, you right. see something on Facebook and it's like slandering the incarnation or something. I'd want to hop on that thread and be like, right. you're wrong for these nine reasons. Yes. <laughs> History, the apostles, yeah. <laughs> the church fathers, uh yeah. Yeah, and it's logic. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's like instead the the right way to react is to faithfully patiently preach the grace of Jesus in the scriptures. Yeah. That's well, I mean, so that's the first point Paul makes okay. is about the pa- what the the posture that Timothy should have hmm. is not a combative one, but a patient one. Okay. And I, this was kind of blew my mind as I was reading through it for the first time. So, I mean, one of the best verses in the whole Bible, 1 Timothy uh 1:15. Here it is. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Like this is the good news the gospel. of the gospel. Um, and then Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. Mm. I am the greatest sinner. So this comes off the heels of him trying to explain to Timothy how the false teachers are getting the Old Testament wrong. They keep saying the Old Testament isn't about proving his who's disobedient, but proving something else. And all the false teachers' apostles are now living immoral lifestyles. But he says the purpose of the Old Testament was to reveal disobedience, but also to point in hope of somebody who would save you from your sin. Right. That's why the Old Testament has a third of its laws about atoning for your sin, a way to deal with your sin, because it's pointing to the Messiah Jesus who would take away the sins on his own. Yeah, he, yeah, he says there, and I we'll get into this more, but I just can't help but dig into it for just for a second. Is like, yeah, chapter one of First Timothy eight through eleven, he's talking about what's the purpose of the law, and you've just said it. It's to reveal sin. Yeah. Right. And like, you might be like, why is that so important? 
you know. Right. I was on a plane two days ago with a woman named Barbara. Barb. And she started talking to me, and we started talking about spoken gospel. And she grew up Christian, but deconstructed. And now she just she says, now I just try to, you know, treat people the way I want to be treated. And, you know, that's it. Because basically all religions are the same. And we talked about that and everything. Yeah. And uh, once I got her to see that Christianity wasn't like all the other religions, that it made really unique truth claims, and she could see that really, yeah. really easily, she she couldn't hear the gospel. She didn't want to hear the gospel because she didn't think she needed it. Hmm. She was just like, I don't know. I don't think I'm any worse than anybody else. I don't I don't right, think right, right. I need saving. And right. I told her, I was like, the reason I'm a Christian is because I know I need saving. I'm yeah. pretty messed up. Yeah. Like, I know I have a sickness that needs a cure. And Paul, in, in, in here, is exhortation to Timothy. He's saying, hmm. the grace of Jesus can cure the worst disease. Yeah. And I had it. Yeah. I had the worst form of terminal cancer right and jesus cured it yes it, so like for, so on one level paul's saying the whole history of the hebrew people has been one of disobedience right yeah go read that go, go read, read the that Torah. book yeah and god and god's people have been disobeying for centuries mm-hmm. but nothing god, new nothing new yeah. but god made a way for them to be saved mm. through, like, to to atone for their sins through sacrifices and now we have a new way to atone the the new and better way to atone for our sins in jesus christ he came yeah. to save sinners once and finally right fully and finally and then he says and the re, the way that you should interact with these false teachers who are teaching people to do the same thing that god's people have done for centuries and disobeying is by remembering who the type of person I was. Right. Paul too was a false teacher. Right. He's like, you want to know how to deal with blasphemers? How did Jesus deal with me? Right. I was a false teacher. What I, did he do with me? He saved me. He saved me through patience. He, he saved me through patience. This is, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience Ugh. as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So I think this is what blew my mind, is that Paul understands the message of Jesus to be fundamentally on one level about God's patience. Yeah. The gospel is a gospel of patience. Right. I mean, when God describes himself in the longest self-description that he gives of himself. The first self-description. Yeah. Exodus 34. Exodus 34. He says, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger. Yeah. And abounding in steadfast, like covenant, long-suffering love. Yeah. He's it, patient. And that patience is what sent us Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's that same patience, I think, that the false teachers are probably playing with, which is interesting. So if mm. you remember in Second Peter, the book of Second Peter, oh yes, um, there's another group of false teachers. And they're, they actually, well, why isn't Jesus coming to judge? Right. If he, Jesus isn't coming to judge the world, it must not yeah. matter what we do. Right. It's like he would have come by now. Look right. how bad the world is. If Jesus was coming to judge it, he would have done it by now. So nothing we do must matter. And then Peter's response is, no, that God's patience is salvation. Right. The reason he hasn't come back yet is to give you a chance, dummy. And then what's <laughs> even crazier is that the next verse is the verse where he says, now Paul says the same thing, and Paul writes things that are hard to understand. So Peter has heard Paul talk multiple times about the gospel and about the patience of Jesus as the way in which the gospel is primarily, mm. firstly, as a part of the way that it's expressed. And he says that's what's hard to understand, and that's what people twist to their own advantage. Yeah, God is patient, so do what you want. People misunderstand what Paul is saying. It's difficult to understand that God uh, is patient. I see. So they're twisting to their own to their own ends uh, and disobeying God's command because it must not matter. But no, God's patience is meant to lead us towards repentance, mm-hmm. turning away from those things and living as God always intended us to live. I see. So in the same, it, it's another one of those possibly like twisted Pauline teachings, yeah. like one of which would be like, don't be circumcised. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And so people are like, oh, great. We throw that law out. We throw every law out. We can live however we want. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I'm not giving you libertinism. Yeah, do whatever you do whatever want. Do whatever you yeah. want. I was just saying, like, Jesus fulfilled that command. Calm down. <laughs> you know? It's like now in the same way, he's like, man, did you know that the reason why there wasn't wrath here, 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 the reason why Jesus didn't come back immediately after he ascended into heaven is because he's being patient with you. Yeah. And people are like, oh, cool. So you're going to be patient with me indefinitely? Universalism or what, right, you know, whatever. Right, right. And it's like, no, you're you're taking this the wrong way. You're twisting Paul's 
teaching. I wonder if this is like implied here. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless yes. and the disobedient. I wonder if what he really means to imply there, like the law is meant to imply judgment right. for oh. evil. And that's what these false teachers are denying. The law is meant to show you that lawlessness, disobedience, immorality must be judged. But so, you're, so why hasn't it yet? So why hasn't it yet? Right. Is the false teacher's point. So right. it must mean that God doesn't care about it. Right. But no, the point is that God does judge immorality. Right. And he judged it in an animal in in your place right. in Old or, Testament Israel. And then in Jesus. And then perfectly. in Jesus. So no, God does this. Yep. So don't minimize your sin. Don't minimize your disobedience. Maximize God's patience. Maximize God's patience. Maximize God's substitution on your behalf, yeah. providing you a way out in Jesus. Goodness. That's the gospel. God is patient with you Ugh. and so patient and long-suffering that he would rather die himself. He will die himself to save you from the thing that you won't admit you're doing wrong. Mm. You know, like Yeah, totally. Okay, two things I want to say to that. One is just, can we all just take a second <laughs> and just be like, God's patient with me? That's just really good news. Yes. I do not often default to viewing God as patient. Yeah. I think he is as reactionary as I am, yes. which is so wrong. But God is so patient and he is long suffering. He suffers with me for a long mm-hmm. time. And he doesn't do it with a, come on, oh, get it right. right. Hurry up. Be better. He's like, I love you. I died for that. I'm here for mm-hmm. you. And I'm still patient. My patience has not worn out, David. Like, oh, this is just such good news. It's also an encouragement for people who are frustrated with the culture. Yeah. Like, it's like people who, like, I, I mean, I'm frustrated by the stuff I see around me. Right. Why isn't God coming back soon? The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Sure. Like, you know, like, that yeah. type of, like, I feel the weight of that. Yeah. And I want Jesus to come back sooner. I'm, why isn't God, like, I feel the need to take things into my own hand. I feel the injustice that God hasn't returned sooner. Or maybe I should remember that what's happening in the world around me, the reason Jesus isn't coming back, the reason why sin is increasing around me is so that God's mercy might increase as well. Right. So that he can show off how patient he is. Yes. Yeah. God's patience is kindness. Yeah. And I want to interpret God's patience as, a, as an injustice right. or as a wrong. Why did he choose Paul to show off how patient he was? Yes. That's what Paul says here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the other thing to kind of reground ourselves in Timothy's mm-hmm. world is what a strange, unforeseen logical progression to go from, hey, I urge you to remain in Ephesus to fight against these false teachers and maintain the doctrine that you chose. Now, let me tell you a story about patience. He's like, wait, what? Oh, well, wait. I thought you were like telling me to go to war. And he's like, no, I want you to, to take all the blasphemers all the people who are persecuting you, all the people mm-hmm. who were like me back whenever I was persecuting Christians and do to them what Jesus did to me. Be patient with Be them. Be patient with them. Show them bursting over the banks mm-hmm. kinds of grace. Yeah. And like, what a strange way to open up. Not a strange way, a very gospel way, but you know, strange to the world. Um, I'm just really blown away by that. In 2 Timothy, um, Paul picks up on this again. He says, as the Lord's servant, um, you must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, teaching and patiently enduring evil, mm. correcting your opponents with gentleness, mm. so that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Paul like imagines like Timothy's. If Timothy reflects on the fact that God has been patient since the beginning of time with his disobedient people, if Timothy reflects on the patience that God showed Paul in his own conversion, mm-hmm. that should reflect his attitude towards the evil and false teaching he sees in his own church that will enable him to respond with gentleness, prayerfully, and in hope that the false teaching he sees around him is not the inevitable end of a long road of cultural decline, but mm-hmm. actually the way in which God's mercy is most powerfully shown and more people come to know him. Yeah, man.
Okay, so we've talked about how Paul's advice to Timothy is the gospel of patience, that just as Jesus was patient with them when they were sinners, blasphemers, persecutors, they should be patient with these false teachers. Yeah. Um, not, not like letting them say whatever they want, but teaching them with gentleness and patience so that they might come to repentance. Yeah, hoping that the God who's always been patient to save sinners will do be so again to right. these people. And so... Now let's go back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is this broken relationship with authority, the, uh, as we called it earlier. Yeah, the A word. The A word. <laughs> yeah. What? It, yeah. What's going on there? And like, what would you? What, how would you sum up Paul's advice to, to Timothy with that? Well, what's interesting. So we have a lot of different ways that broken authority is being manifest. I think we listed some of them. Yeah, already. you did. Yeah. But like one, we have the false teachers misinterpreting God's law and disregarding God's moral commands. So <laughs> like, broken relationship with the Bible. With the Bible. Yeah, we have. Men who are angry with their governments in First Timothy two broken relationship with societal authority. We have women having a broken relationship with the the church's authority, particularly as it relates to Timothy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, elders who need to be corrected by Timothy, perhaps with something to do with drinking or alcohol, because right after that, Paul also tells Timothy to keep drinking alcohol for some wine for his stomach. So right. maybe they're abusing alcohol, broken relationship with their own authority and the res- their their example they're supposed yeah. to give to the congregation. That we have Christian slaves who are trying to foment a rebellion against their Christian masters. Right. And Paul says rebellion shouldn't be the way that Christians relate to one another, regardless of their social position. Yeah. So you have a broken relationship with authority on both sides there. Mm-hmm. And then we also have just the general sense that the church in Ephesus doesn't trust Timothy and doesn't trust Paul's leadership anymore. Oh, so broken relationship with the founding or lead pastors. Yeah, and I think this is probably most clear in 2 Timothy. Okay. So if we go to 2 Timothy real quick, in 2 Timothy chapters 2 and 3, Paul is going to compare Timothy to Moses two different times. Oh, okay. So one, he's going to talk about Janus and Jambres who were the two magicians back in Egypt. Right, who, who were trying to replicate all the miracles. Right, okay. but were pro- could not ultimately replicate Moses' miracles because they were from God. Right. So he says, like, this is like you in relationship with false teachers. They can do some things, but the, ultimately the, the power in them is not there. They're able to change water to blood yes. through manipulating the water, but was it? F- it's the flies. The flies. It's the flies. They can't yeah. create life out of nothing. Out of the dust yeah. of the ground. Eventually, Only God does that. Yeah, eventually the false teachers are found out. Yes. Okay. And then again here in Second Timothy 19, he... If you don't know your Old Testament, you're going to miss this illusion, like I did a couple different yeah, times. Yeah, definitely. But he, he says this, God's firm foundation stands, even in the context of these false teachings, bearing this seal, the Lord knows who are his. That's a quote from the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, in chapter 16, Moses is being confronted, Moses and Aaron actually, uh-huh, yes. are being confronted by a rebellion of their fellow elders and leaders of the congregation. The other the other clans of priests. Yeah, so here's what, let me just read you a little bit of what it says here. Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites all rose up against Moses. And with them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. Mm. So this already sounds very... A lot s- like Timothy's situation. Right, Alexander have, the coppersmith. Right, you have some prominent leaders and then a whole bunch of other leader, people within the church following their example they came as a group to oppose moses and aaron and said to them you have gone too far mm. the whole community is holy every one of them and the lord is with them why then do you set yourselves up above the lord's assembly right we're so, all like god's people why you, right. what gives you the right to lead that's what that's exactly right they have that's a broken what, relationship with, with authority, authority. So I was like, okay, that's really interesting. They're presuming upon their authority in the same way that their holiness, the same way it seems as if the false teachers in Timothy's day are presuming upon their holiness, presuming they can lead however they desire, have whatever authority they desire, act however they desire, and then say, Timothy and Paul are wrong. They've gone too far. And when Moses heard this, verse 4, he fell to the ground. And then he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. That's Mm -hmm. the verse that's quoted right here. Yeah. Um, The Lord knows that those who are his. So it's interesting that Paul understands the primary metaphor 
for Timothy to understand what he's experiencing is something that actually Moses already went through. Mm. A problem with Moses's authority to lead a nation and the apostolic authority given to Timothy. Yeah, and what happens then in the story, right? Is that where the staff buds? Is that next? Or is it the censor It's bowls? the censors and the, okay. and the fire that comes down out of heaven. Yeah, Right, and so like God shows through these signs and through these kind of external, undeniable, miraculous workings that he has chosen Moses and Aaron and not Korah or these other clans or people. Um, God knows who are his. And Paul's going to say the same thing to Timothy. He's going to say, remember when I laid hands on you mm-hmm. and you received a gift and a calling from God that wasn't man-made, that wasn't made up, that can't be taken away from you. Fan that into flame, <laughs> censors <laughs> yeah, of flame, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, and it's like the same thing that happened to Moses yeah. and to Aaron has happened to you, Timothy. Yeah. God knows you. He's chosen you, set you apart. Therefore, lead like it. Yeah, and what's also interesting, Paul seems to understand, too, that the presence of false authority, people who challenge authority, is proof of godly authority. <laughs> like he's, mm, what Paul, mean, yeah, what do you mean by that? Paul says that just like just like God did in Numbers, God has like sealed and marked and knows that, those that are truly his. And false teachers actually reveal those who truly call on God's name. And meaning that when you have a lie that produces wrong results, a hatred of authority, whether of God's or human authority. And then you have true teaching that leads to love and unity in the body of Christ. The presence of false teaching shows you that much more clearly the goodness of God's teaching, of, of mm, God's authority. Does yeah, that, like, th- like, like the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's like, in, in Aaron's case, and Korah's case, it was very dramatic, right? It was Super dramatic. It was, you know, a, 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 the fire comes and, and shows that uh, Aaron is safe and chosen, but it consumes um, all of Korah's followers. The ground opens yeah. up and swallows them and all this crazy stuff. Very clearly, the false teachers are found out and the right teachers are proven correct. Um, but you're saying that false teachers will be found out by their way of life. That's right. Um, same for truth, true teachers that by the way they live, by the productivity of their teaching. By what the disciples do based on their teaching. Right. That yeah. true teachers will be found out to be true. False teachers will be found out to be false. And the encouragement to Timothy there is that in the same way that Korah's teaching and rebellion ended in his destruction. Right. So will these false teachers. False teaching can't help but destroy itself because, as Paul says multiple times, it causes divisions. It goes on and on in endless quarreling. It's going on in speculative arguments. People who are constantly going on about conspiracies, who are divided among themselves and can't stop talking over each other, aren't going to last long as a movement. Like just yeah, like totally. even on just a physical level, but more even more so on a spiritual level. If you're not teaching God's word, that will fail. But right. what it, how does Paul talk about God's word in Timothy two? As God breathed, like yeah. having the very life and spirit of God in it that is capable of equipping God's people for all the good works they're supposed right. to do and it, living the life they're supposed to live. It's like the Sermon on the Mount. It's like uh, the house built on the rock or the sand. You build your house on the rock, it's going to stay and prove that it was built in the right place. <laughs> you know, yeah. If not, it's going to sweep away. I think that's a good thing to bring up with the whole Korah thing and like what was Paul's exhortation to Timothy was like, hey, stay faithful endure be steadfast preach with patience the gospel love endurance and it will be you will be seen by your fruit yeah right but the other side is also true that and Korah died you know like he was judged by god and he i think paul even sides with this as part of the good news that he's trying to extend to timothy in second timothy 4 14 he brings up this guy we've talked about alexander the coppersmith and he says that he did me great harm, mm-hmm. but the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Like he knows that God affirms true teachers and judges false teachers. Yeah. And that's part of his encouragement to this young pastor. Okay. So then my question is, what is the gospel there for Timothy, for us in, uh, in like fixing our relationships with authority structures? Like 
what's the good news there for us? Uh, not just like, oh, the right will win out and the false we found out. That's that's good life advice. And I think right. like it's the good news is Jesus will affirm those who are his and cast out those who aren't. And okay, I get that. Is there something else? Yeah, like it's good news that power isn't the way of Jesus. Mm. Like it's it's good news that exerting our will over the will of God is not the way of Jesus. Like yeah. the way of Jesus means that the powerless, the prayerful, the humble are the ones that are raised up. Yeah. And those that try to teach over other people, exert their authority on their own, um, try to reinterpret God's law to benefit their own mm -hmm. sense of pride or their own sense of right and wrong are attempting a power play that can't win that can't that can't win right and benefits only the most powerful right the tr like that's the that's part of the problem with false teaching that denies god's authority is that it replaces their own authority for god's authority and means only the most powerful mm -hmm. can have the best life right but the good news of the gospel is that it's the powerless the weak the prayerful the humble are those that rise from the dead mm -hmm. and inherit an imperishable church right. and a family of God. Yeah. Let me say that two different ways. Yes. In in one sense, what you're saying is in um in man's kingdom, uh, where we grab power, the the single women who have all their bills paid get to steal the money from the women who actually need it. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the right, faulty right. widows get the yeah. money. Uh in the kingdom of God the women who actually need the money get the money. <laughs> they yes. get the help. People actually need the help. Yeah. Uh, because it's not all about who has the power. It's about right. who needs. And, you know, the other thing I was thinking about with the story of Moses um, and Aaron and Korah is it's not, I think you were saying this, it's not the man who was able to foment a rebellion, get a huge following of respected members of the community and stand up to the powers that be and go for a power grab. Those aren't the ones who win. No. Right, Cora didn't win, and his right. giant band of really influential followers. He didn't win. Who won? The one man Moses who cried on the ground. Yeah, he won. And Second Timothy one four tells us that Timothy was is, crying. Was crying. Yeah. So like, Timothy needs is Moses. Is yeah. he needs this good news yeah. because he is mm. the weak man reduced to nothing but prayers, surrounded by people who want to take over his position of power, don't think he's qualified, and don't agree with the way that God said the church should be structured. Right. And Paul, and Timothy's crying on the ground along with Moses, asking for vindication and power from on right. high. And Paul is promising him it, that it's on the way. And we know this is true because of the gospel itself. Yes. Right? Because you had um, a crowd of influential people coming up against Jesus. They had the weapons, they had the political backing, they had the religious backing. I'm talking about like the arrest in Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. They came up to Jesus with sticks and clubs and weapons and they had all Sealed the approval from Pilate. Right. All the, the warrants. Priests. They had all the warrants to seize and, and mm -hmm. you know, arrest everything they needed to. And what did Jesus do? He wept in the garden, right? Yeah, he cried. Yeah. He went to the cross silent. He, he did no power grabs. Any chance in his ministry that people tried to give him an opportunity to take the throne and use his power? Satan tried to do it three times. He, mm -hmm, he said mm -hmm. no. It's like Jesus did not do a power grab. Instead, he mm -hmm. wept. He loved. He was patient. Mm -hmm. And he died. Yeah. And that's how he rose and ascended. Because God knew who was his, right? That, yeah. was the, that was the firm foundation. The Lord knows who, those who are his. That's the numbers quote. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the gospel is that Jesus saves us and ascends to all authority, not by a power grab, yeah. but by patient, loving obedience. Like, think of some of the elements of Jesus' story. Jesus prays for the Romans that crucified him. Right. And he raises from the dead. Mm -hmm. Jesus becomes a slave, according to Philippians. Now he rules the universe. <laughs> like <laughs> God undid death through humility and prayer. Yeah. And as the church, God's people, men and women who trust Jesus, imitate that humility, continue to submit to God's word, the same thing will be true of us. Right. We will reign forever with Jesus. Mm -hmm. We might be slaves now. Right. But we will be 
sit on thrones forever. Yeah. We might live a life that's difficult now, but we will have the inheritance of God forever. Why? Not because we're powerful, but because we admit humbly that Jesus has everything we need. Yeah. Um, okay. As we as we kind of yeah. wind down, I'm like I've I've like two questions. Okay. One is what warning do you think First and Second Timothy give to us today? And two, what encouragement does it have for the discouraged people inside of these broken systems? So like warning and encouragement. I mean, I don't think the warning's all that different than the one that's implicit hmm. in Paul. It's like there are people who have been part of churches for a long time who are no longer part of those churches or who have left the faith entirely. Right. And they are teaching us that there's alternate ways to structure the people of God. There's alternate commands to obey and they're discounting the authority within scripture and with the, in the authority of the church. Some of their critiques are right, as I'm sure some of the critiques of, of Alexander were probably right, mm -hmm. you know? So the warning is what's happening right now isn't different from what happened 2000 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's not different from what happened to the garden of Eden. And we would be foolish to trust voices that are telling us to mistrust a Bible that is God's living word and has lasted right for thousands of years and actually has the power to save us. Yeah. Like ultimately God's word saved us. Mm -hmm. Jesus saved us. The proclamation of the word saved us from our sin and whatever problems that might arise. It's not a problem with the Bible. Right. <laughs> it's yes. not, you know, it's like, it's not a problem with what yeah. Jesus has done. Mm -hmm. It can be the fault of bad leaders or yes. people acting in bad faith, which Paul's criticizing. Right. These greedy people who are preaching the gospel for their own benefit. Yeah, I, think totally. the, I just th I think the warning is like don't lose trust in the word of God that saved us. Right, which is happening a lot right now. Yeah, yeah, it's like yes, there have been bad leaders and bad churches and false teachers and people living opposite to what the Bible has commanded while pretending they do so with a form of godliness. Right, but right. those are actually Paul's actually calling those the false teachers. Right, he's like that should make us want to trust the word all the more. Right. Yeah. Because that's the yeah. thing that withstands. That's the thing that resists power grabs. That's the right. thing that like... If you're tired of the church falling apart, the solution is not to run away and, and leave the church. The, the point is to go and stand on the word of God that won't fall apart. The solution is don't get lost in the, the, the squabbles. Don't yeah, all get the quarrels lost in and the, the speculation. Yeah. Don't get lost in all the the debates about the genealogies and the yeah. the creation story. Like There's a ton of that. There's a ton of that. Just can we stand true on the fact that the Bible is meant to just show us that we need a need a savior yeah. and has provided it for us in Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I think that's the warning yeah. and also the encouragement at right. the same time. Yeah. But like, that's the best I can do on, in the, this spot. on the spot. Yeah. Do you have another answer to that? Um, I was just thinking as we were talking about the gospel and like Paul's encouragement to Timothy to treat the false teachers the way that they were treated by Jesus. And, um, you know, we just reflecting on the gospel. I was like, man, I think a warning that is coming to my mind is to test false teaching against the gospel itself. Yeah. That any false teaching that favors the power grabbers or marginalizes mm -hmm. the poor, you know, like that is usually not going to be the right teaching. Yeah. You know, um, and so I, I would just look around and see if if yeah. it's only the rich benefiting, uh, you probably don't quite have something right. Yeah, and if if your reaction to false teaching isn't as patient as Jesus, mm. like like that's also an indication you might be listening to someone not preaching the true gospel. Right. If there's only impatience, anger, and fear. That's very good. Yeah. That's not the the posture the gospel tells you inhabit to inhabit right and i think that probably is a pretty i mean that i feel that one pretty strongly yes, like definitely impatience and fear yep probably the the dominating emotions as i just yeah. hear about the state of the church the state of the world impatience and fear yeah i mean those if that is at all what was happening in timothy's time we are living it in spades right, <laughs> right now. Right. It's like we have reactivity to scruples. 
Yeah. Like we just have the smallest little blog post or Twitter post just sets off a firestorm, right? In the yeah. church, the tiniest yeah. little thing. Yeah. All that's like should not matter. It happens every single day. And it is it's dis- why I got off Instagram. Right. Facebook. Totally. It's why I don't engage on social right. media because, because of that. that. Yeah. And it's like that is discrediting the church. It's sidetracking us from the gospel, right? It's, and it, it is not. Ref- it doesn't reflect the patience of Jesus. Is what no. I think you were gonna say. Yes. Like, oh, that's it. I mean, that's the warning and the encouragement mm-hmm. is watch out for that just reactivity over nonsense mm-hmm. and just love people the way Jesus loved them. And I'm talking about the people who don't deserve it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about. The, the, guy, the very same people tweeting the thing that's getting you angry. Those that's are the, the person pe- that you need to show patience to. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's the guy who was literally hunting down and murdering Christians. Yeah. Paul. Paul. That's who Jesus was patient with. Mm-hmm. Right? So do you think you could be patient with somebody who just like had one little verse interpreted differently than you? <laughs> you think? Right. And it's like, I mean, I'm the chief of sinners with this mm-hmm. warning here. <laughs> you know, like I can be very reactive. And yeah. Whenever somebody says something I don't agree with, I want to hop all over it. And I just want to like yeah. say, no, that's actually not true because of this, 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 and this. You need to straighten up. Like I can be the worst at that. Yeah. The absolute worst. And I think the good news to me is like Jesus is patient with me when I'm mm. impatient with others even. You know, and like mm. I just need to meditate on his patience. Yeah. His patience toward me even whenever I am doing the opposite to others and just let that change my heart. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we have for the introduction for the book of 1 Timothy. Okay, so uh, we're going to go into the book after this, yeah? Yeah, we'll start next week in Timothy chapter 1, which we'll probably maybe go over a lot of this patient stuff, or maybe we'll just jump straight into Timothy chapter 2 and go into men and women in leadership and elders and all the fun stuff. Well, great. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, for today's talk. Um, really excited to go through our talk, our talk, our chat, our chat, our chat. This is our little chat. So, uh, yeah, and we'll we'll go through the rest of First and Second Timothy, chapter by chapter. Really excited about that. Hope you guys will join us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.